This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 605. And the quote of the day is, the only thing you can authentically be in your life is yourself. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 605, and I hope you're doing well, and I hope that uh, you've been digging these episodes, and if this is the first one you've ever listened to, thanks so much for being here. There's a lot more where this one came from, so check that out, and if you've listened to 20, 50, 100, all of them, whatever it is, I'm, I'm very grateful that you're here, you're listening, and you're part of the family, and this episode is a great one. It took a little while to get lined up and it, it, it always makes me feel good when an episode actually happens, like something, you know, one that I've been working on for a long time and then, and then it finally comes to fruition. The other side of it is that Joe Russo and I sort of came up along, I don't want to say we came up together, but we sort of came up uh, in the same in the same genre around the same time uh, when my band was playing particular venues, his bands were playing like in the duo, he was playing particular venues and then he got on a rocket ship and, and skyrocketed to, to become what he's, you know, who he is today and what he does today. But so I've known about Joe for a long time. We have a lot of mutual friends. We've actually never met before. So this was an interesting conversation on multiple levels and his perspective about about learning your instrument and about really learning music and and being forced to to challenge yourself but then also to have an open mind and to learn from others and and sort of be ushered into other styles of music by other people is a great perspective that he shares so a pretty wide ranging conversation, but full of great information and great nuggets in there as well. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Mr. Joe Russo. Joe Russo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Um, I guess I should uh, I should publicly apologize for for Instagram shaming you. <laughs> there was no shame and I deserved it as I have canceled at least once and uh have have uh yeah I've been I've been uh less than uh on the ball with this so thank you for your patience no, that's I, all right. I really do it I, you know us, what uh, I talking about Tommy Lee on my Instagram to, to finally <laughs> yeah. nail this in Tommy Lee you know it all comes back to Tommy Lee doesn't kinda it kind of does man you know if you, if you draw the draw the lines the right way yeah so speaking of of Tommy Lee uh I don't know if I've ever started a question that way, but but uh, I'm always interested in in influences and what you were listening to, you know, as someone growing up. Like you and I grew up in essentially the same area, right? Yeah. You grew up in you grew up in the New Jersey, New York area. I grew up in Pennsylvania. We're around the same age, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I had an older brother who was sort of feeding me different types of music. But if not, I would have just been listening to whatever was on the radio and, and totally, wouldn't have really totally. gone deep. Um, what was it, what was it for you that, that got you into it and what were you listening to? Yeah. I mean, a very similar situation. I'm, I'm the baby of, of three. I have an older sister who's seven years older than I am, uh, a brother who's five years older. And, um, and yeah, you know, that especially, you know, the connection when you're kids of having an older brother 
pretty much he called the shots and and that's what I was listening to. Uh, I mean, the only reason I'm a drummer or a musician is because I desperately wanted to be in, in Kiss. My brother loved <laughs> Kiss, had the Kiss dolls. We were in the Kiss army. Nice. Uh, and straight up, like I had posters everywhere. I wanted to be Peter Chris. And that was, uh, that was the gateway, you know, listened to a lot of, you know, Kiss and, and, you know, Judas Priest and, you know, Motley Crue and Ozzy mm-hmm. and Black Sabbath and, you know, got into Metallica. And then of course there was the, the classic rock wing of older brothership as well that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and, you know, all the, all that stuff. And, and then like what now would be classic rock radio, I guess was still kind of then as well, but you know, like the almonds and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, Van Halen and, and, you know, just all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the, the butt rock was kind of my inspiration. <laughs> you know, I, 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 dug the, I dug the flames. Uh, yeah. and that really was, was my entry. And then through him getting into Zeppelin, you know, clearly, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people can say is, is a mile marker for their, uh, their musician's path. And then actually my sister, my sister's boyfriend at the time was a drummer and he hipped me to like rush, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and then that became just, you know, my whole thing for probably a decade. Right. Uh, you know, had a, a slowly pieced together a drum set, you know, mim- mimicking his seventies, you know, set up with the concert toms, which is probably why I have a weird concert tom fetish now, you know, it's amazing. I have concert toms all over the damn house. Um, but yeah, that was that was like the entry stuff for sure. Can you imagine hearing Rush for the first time again? Like I yeah, would man. love just God, I, like I the first time depends. I heard YYZ, I was like, I have, yeah. I was sort of like, I don't even know what's going on right now. Yeah, that was that was definitely probably the one that grabbed me the hardest as a kid. And it's so weird because you know if you were to say, um, let's say I'd never heard Rush today, mm-hmm. and someone played it for me. I don't think I would be as wonderfully available as I was when it, when you're a kid, you know, when you hear something mm. like that for the first time, it's just like, just, I mean, clearly it would, it's, it's incredible. I, I liken it to like Dave Drowitz, uh, my friend who plays bass in, in Ween and he's in our, our band. He and I mm-hmm. go back forever. You know, he like loves like certain, you know, things on like King, King Crimson or something like that stuff, stuff that I just didn't get into when I was that age. Right. And I've tried to put it on now and I'm just like, no, not having it. I think, I think there is a, a perfect union for when, um, when you put your ears on certain things. And I think there's a luxury that we have as being younger brothers of getting it delivered at that perfect time, you know, sure. like, yeah, I don't know for, at least for me, that was, uh, it was, it was life changing hearing Bonham, hearing Neil Peart, uh, right were you know and bill ward though and tommy lee and like all these people Mm -hmm. like it really was life-changing um you know and and at that time too when you're a kid and that's that music in that era in the you know when it was probably like the early 80s that i was discovering this stuff you know everything was bigger than life too so it was like (laughs) it was it was like equal parts spectacle equal parts like rock and roll sex drugs you know yep. that that whole thing which was pretty enticing to me when i was a kid you know? yeah, yeah yeah the uh the, i don't know if you if you follow aaron sterling on on instagram but he always talks about like there's bands that that people bring up that are sort of 
you know, cornerstones of rock and roll or like everyone talks about. And he's like, I embarrassingly like maybe don't know any of their songs or, or, or something like that. Are there, are there bands that you have that people are like, like everyone is like, Oh, the Beatles. And you're like, I, I'd never even have listened <laughs> the to the now? Beatles. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't think so. You know, I, again, I, I think I had the luxury of having, you know, all those obvious ones delivered to me, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was my parents, you know, with the Beatles or, you know, my mom loved the Beach Boys and, and Elvis, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think I'm just very lucky to have received that, that starter pack of music. You know, I, I can't <laughs> right. think of, I mean, like the Stones, I never got deep into, you know, mm-hmm. but I also don't reference them as an, as an influence that, that much on me, you know, like sure. I love them. I think they're great, but I, I never did the deep dive with them. Um, so I don't, I don't think, I don't think I'm missing it off of my, uh, my growing up drummer bingo card. Yeah. There's uh the interesting thing about rush that I, that I think about is like, I agree with you what you say, because if I heard it now, I mean, I'll, I'll just put it on the record and say it. And I'm probably going to get chastised for this, but like <laughs> listening this to is rush, a drummer's podcast. Again, I, know, I know all of the listeners are leaving right now. It's <laughs> like the, the doors are going to be closed. The hell's wrong with these guys? Uh, I, I like, I love and respect Rush for what they did and what they are, but now I don't like, it just doesn't do it for me anymore because of the style of music that I, that I enjoy now. Sure. Um, but when I, when I heard it from a drumming perspective, it was just like absolutely mind blowing. Oh, I mean, there is no, you know, like, yeah, like I'm not going to probably put on a farewell to Kings tonight while I'm making dinner right. because I'm like, man, this is the mood I want to be in. But Jesus Christ, that was my mood for a real long time. I learned <laughs> right. So much from that. I mean, you know, Neil's playing, you know, as a drummer, obviously it's just like bewildering, mm-hmm. but really as, as uh, he would compose these parts that really you look back and it's like, it's just incredible. The, the compositions that those guys did had a, uh, still influence me majorly in the music that I write, how I perform, even though it's maybe not, you know, so obviously worn on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if I've written anything in the last five years that's not somehow in an odd time signature. Right. You know? Right. I mean, it's usually a quarter note, not an eighth note. I don't want that <laughs> jagged shit. But you know what I'm saying? Um, you, you, you take these things and they find your, their way into you. And I, I'm so lucky. I feel so happy to have the influences that I've had, um, you know, that, that have obviously gone past, you know, the ones we've discussed, but I am always in love with and appreciate the ones we have discussed. And, and again, mm-hmm. like getting back to Tommy Lee a little bit, there was a day like in the last decade, you know, where, you know, drummers, people ask you who you're influenced by and it's like, Oh, fucking Joey Baron and, you know, Jack DeJunette and, you know, of course, Neil and Bonham and all this stuff. And, you know, the more I would get asked about this kind of stuff and the more I would think about how I play, I was like, son of a bitch. Actually, I steal a lot of shit from Tommy Lee. Straight <laughs> up. Straight up. And I, I think, think he's okay. an incredible compositional player. Yeah. He writes amazing parts. And like that night that you and I were kind of joking with each other on, on Instagram, I was watching, like I was up late, couldn't sleep, watching like a weird Motley Crue concert. <laughs> 
And, you know, they're playing all the old stuff. And it's like there are these crooked phrases. There are these like melodic little quips that he'll do, these weird like symbol grabs, the cowbell what? work. Like it's so musical. And I'm like, holy shit. Maybe one of the top like five people I've stolen from is actually Tommy Lee. And I'm like so stoked about that because I that's, think I'm an amazing drummer. I think that's okay. I think a lot of times we, like you said, when they're like, oh, who's your favorite drummer? And everyone's like, well, I got to, I got to say this person. I have to right. say this person. And I'm like, I was on a, I was literally on a call yesterday and they're like, who's your favorite drummer? I was like, okay, Steve Yad. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Steve Jordan. And then I'm like, Steve Bowman, who played on the original Counting Crows record, you know, oh, and people nice were like, that. and they're like, well, what about this person? And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. I like all these guys. I'm just right. like, and I, there's also a million incredible people that you, you can, you know, again, I think with age, you realize you don't have to have a favorite anything, you know, the exactly. beautiful, the beautiful thing about being a musician, about being a human is you don't have to put things in boxes. It's like you, I love what this person does with this thing. I love how this person makes me feel the way they do that. I love the sound of this person's instrument. I love the phrasing of this person. I love, you know, it's, it's. And that's something that really has uh, opened up in my world in the last, you know, decade plus, you know, especially getting involved with the Grateful Dead world, which was something I mm -hmm. never had any interest in and something that has really informed so much of my life musically and otherwise um, since. So it's like, yeah, you know, I, I definitely, um, I, we could sit here all day and I could just be rattling off people's names who right. have inspired me equally and they would be all over the shop. And I think that's really the goal. You know, when I was younger, mm -hmm. I, I think like a lot of, you know, kids, um, you know, musicians, you think you have to be like into a certain thing. And I feel like it's changing now though. I, I will give credit to the, the newer generations. Whereas I think when I was growing up, you know, speaking for myself, it, it was a bit more pigeonholed. It's like, I'm into like progressive rock. I'm into right. this. I'm a drummer. I'm a, you know, it's like, you know, later in life, it's like, wait, I'm a, I'm a musician. I need to learn how to play all these instruments if I want to actually get my thoughts across. And I need to mm -hmm. listen to every type of music and I need to explore everything. Just like you need to try every type of food. Right. You know, it's like, you can't just be sucking down chili dogs, cougar. You know, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta uh, check out all the stuff. And, and the Grateful Dead thing really just smacked me in the face, you know, with, uh, with my accidental involvement there. Cause that was a flavor I thought I hated. Really? Because really I was going to ask you, like, how do you, th well, there's a couple questions in here that, that I wanted to touch on. One, you had mentioned before, because I, I want to talk about the Grateful Dead stuff. You had sure. mentioned composing mm -hmm. um, and the way that you compose was heavily influenced by not only Rush, but other people that you've listened to. What is your approach to composing? Because I think it's really hard for drummers. Um, I mean, if you don't play another instrument, it's like nearly impossible. Right. right. But for you was what was the path to composing because i think that's a that's a missing piece in a lot of our arsenal yeah i think uh i think i so desperately wanted to be able to be a part of a deeper part of the creation process in in whatever bands i was in or anything like that or mm -hmm. just in general and i guess you know i'm sorry this drum is vibrating i'm hearing um I, uh, you know, just always fiddled around on instruments, uh, only until very recently, how have I started taking like kind of some lessons here to actually learn what the notes are and like everything. Um, so I would just make, make parts, you know, and, and just, mm -hmm. uh, um, just try to build little ideas and, 
and without having the the proper skill set behind you, it certainly takes longer time, or it did for me, because you can't just be like, oh, well, clearly this should go to here, or you know, using basic music rules and principles. Um, but it also makes it more exciting when you're just like, without a shoot, you're like, oh, nobody's saying this is wrong because I have no idea what the hell this is. Right. So I would just tend to, um, yeah, just make like little ideas, little chords, little little themes, melodies. And then once I started getting into to home recording, that's when it really, you know, started cracking open the most. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, just kind of just putting any idea, any idea down or picking up any instrument and realizing you don't have to be a guitarist to play a guitar. You don't have to be a pianist to play a piano. It's like we're musicians. Sit down in an instrument. If there's something that grabs your ear, you know, follow it and, and try to unravel it a little bit and see what happens. Um, and, uh, you know, I think when Marco and I were doing the duo and when we really started writing our own stuff, that's when I started being a little bit more confident of like, oh, hey, man, I have this this part or this riff or this, you know, whatever. And he and mm -hmm. I would tend to, you know, combine on our compositions where he would have a section or I would have a section and then he would take his brilliance and actual knowledge of music and <laughs> find a way to make my thing work you know in his right. thing and that was an amazing uh time too because it's scary it's scary to put yourself out there all the time you yeah. know uh for the first time or the first 10 times or the first 100 times mm -hmm. um but yeah these different mile markers of like okay shoot i'm gonna i'm gonna like not be afraid of of putting something uh into the world that I, you know, quote unquote composed. And it's, st it started small for me with, like I said, like sections or this or that, but I'd always been a big hand in arranging in other bands that I was in. And, and I think it was frustrating for me because it would be like, well, it should go to like a, this kind of thing. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't say it. I couldn't explain it. Um, and I really think, uh, you know, that, that, that led me to, going deeper on my own my own stuff but yeah especially the 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 home recording stuff where you're able to um i mean stuff you can just do on your phone now mm -hmm. where you can just record an idea and then play something else over it and you know just really develop develop themes mm -hmm. yeah. no that makes sense uh you had mentioned the duo the benevetto russo duo that that to me i remember when you guys were just starting you guys had that residency uh at the knitting factory mm -hmm. and i went up to see you guys a couple times and to me, I was. It was like. It sounds dumb now to say, but like it was almost foreign to me, right? Where I was like, "How are these guys doing this with just just an organ and drums?" Right. right. Um, what were the What were some of the challenges that you faced with just because there's nowhere to hide, right? right. You're not right. like you can't get lost. You can't get lost or hide behind anyone else. But right. what were what were some of the the challenges that you had with just you know playing with an organ player? But then also, what were some of the freedoms that you had? I mean, I would say more freedoms than not. You know, you add uh, our age, our, you know, our loving cockiness and mm -hmm. our, <laughs> we, I mean, that era of, of both myself and Marco was like, you know, we were young and hungry and, and violently excited to play music. And, right. and, and that, I think he and I specifically kind of just really shared that, that, that confidence and, so there really wasn't, it was a, a very no fear approach from, from the jump with, uh, with Marco, you know, he's a very easy person to hop in that seat with. And, mm -hmm. and, and we just instantly had that blend. I think the only thing that was, uh, 
of any negative to me at that time was I really wanted us to start getting into more compositions and, and hearing more sounds. I just got sick of hearing the same, you know, the organ and just a drum mm -hmm. set. It, it started kind of boring my ears a little bit. I thought what we were doing was great. And it was, most of it was, you know, 90% improv. Those, those shows, we had a couple little, little sketches here, a couple old tunes that Marco had a couple like funky little covers. Um, but yeah, you know, when we first started touring and stuff, it was, it was mostly an improv thing and mm -hmm. it was great, but I, I was definitely longing for something more sonically satisfying. Uh, okay. so that, but that, that's the way we ended up going. You know, we mm -hmm. got Marcus started bringing more keyboards. I started having my sampler and guitars and we were all of a sudden we're doing, you know, really a lot of shit for two people. Right. Um, but as it was being built and being slow, you know, kind of slowly formed into what it became, it, it, it wasn't overwhelming, but it sure as hell was overwhelming when he and I got back together a couple of years ago and did a show yeah. for like six or eight years. And we're like, how the F did we do this? <laughs> like, cause man, it, it was some early twenties stuff because it was like, yeah. like one, it's like, why are we doing this? <laughs> you know, like, why this could be so much easier. Um, <laughs> But it was, it was really amazing to go back after, you know, we had created that thing and we built that world in, in, in real time and it all made sense. But then going back, it was just like, man, we were just looking blankly at each other of like, how did we do it? Because it, there was such surgical precision by the end of that band of, I had to hit this sample, but turn it off with this while I'm hitting this thing while Marco's doing like a left foot bass thing and this, and it really, it was Jeez. like this incredible dance. But again, while you're in it, making it, it's cool. But going back, it was, it was trying it was to relearn pretty, it all. It was really rough. It was, yeah. it was intense. But, um, but again, that was, that was the only thing that was trying, uh, in, in, in my opinion was, was having to paint with a limited, um, you know, scope uh sure for, for for too long but we we remedied that and then i think in turn that became who who we were what we sounded like you know mm -hmm. those the two proper records that we put out uh best reason to buy the sun and play pause stop that was like really what the band was we put out like two improv -y kind of like you know modesky martin and wood rip off things which right. is essentially what we were in the right. beginning it was like you know, a little bit more jersed out, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, it's kind of like almost dead, you know, it's like, uh, we just, they're Jersey. Well, I guess they're technically like, <laughs> right. Billy. Yeah. I guess Billy's Jersey. Billy, Billy's Jersey. Yeah. Chris is from Colorado. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if, if you're playing any style of music like that, like who else to look to? Than I mean, MMW? and we were definitely looking toward them. I mean, you know, I, I, all those guys are such huge influences and teachers and friends of ours. Um, you know, they, I remember seeing before I moved to Colorado in like 96, I went out and visited a friend of mine and, uh, went to the Fox theater in, in, in Boulder and saw Modesky Martin and Wood. And I had no idea who that was. Mm -hmm. Um, and it blew my face off. It was incredible. I'd never seen people manipulate music like that in my life. And, and that, that was a big, big part of me moving to Colorado, actually, I was pretty well set on going to Berkeley and doing the Berkeley thing and, and get my, you know, my drumming gloves right. tuned up. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'm so thankful for those moments that, that I can look back at and be like, yeah, that was a moment. Like 
Um, and I decided to move to Boulder. And then there I just, I started playing with guys that were more like-minded with, with what I had just seen mm-hmm. that also, you know, continue to influence me to, to this day. How did, how did the change happen from rock and progressive rock and classic rock and all this stuff to get into organ improvisational music? Like you were talking about MMW, the stuff that you did with the duo, then you, right. you like you, to use your words, you accidentally fell into the, into the Grateful Dead world. <laughs> right. Like how does all, how does all that start to change? Was it, um, do you think it's a, your ears changing or? Uh, I, I think it's uh outside influence. I think for me, uh, so I'm, I moved back to, I moved to Boulder you know, I think I was like out there seeing some friends for like 10 days, freaked out. This is amazing. Went back to Jersey 10 days later, drove back to Colorado and that nice. was it. And within the first week, month, I forget the actual timeline. I, I, there was a band looking for a drummer. Um, and that ended up being the band that I was in for, you know, five or so years, which was called fat mama, which is a riff on a, a Herbie Hancock tune, mm-hmm. terrible band name though. Um, <laughs> And these guys are still some of my heroes that I still luckily get to play with most of them today. And they just beat the hell out of me. They just schooled me so hard, you know, um, you know, hipping me to just everything, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, here, man, this is Art Blakey. I'm like, cool, you know, and, you know, <laughs> between like all the stuff that I need to catch up on um, in like that world, you know, but the 70s mile stuff really was the stuff that was a large group influence and one that they really like delivered to me, you know, Jack DeJohnette mm-hmm. and, and Alvin and, and Al Foster and all these things, this like, you know, this hard hitting, um, pretty violent improvisational music with zero boundary. Um, and, uh, you know, and like, you know, John Zorn and Masada and all this stuff mm-hmm. that these guys were, they were just so much cooler than me. I mean, they still are, you know, they were just into such cool hip stuff. And, and I was, I had the luxury of just being the, the new guy that they literally could mold. You know, I, mm-hmm. I came in just like, Hey guys, I'm going to put on my Dave Weckl drumming shoes and like, <laughs> and these guys are like, no, you're not. That's whack. Check this right. out. And the shoes, the shoes are, are very important though. I mean, you got to wear the shoes if you, if, I mean, you're drumming, right? You better wear yeah. the right shoes. You better wear the right shoes. You know? Um, but like, seriously, it's like those guys, I'm so lucky that they, they, they all older brothered me in the best right. way, you know? Right. Um, and just kicked my ass and were like, dude, this is what's up. Check this out. No, mm-hmm. man, listen to this. Check this out. Check this out. And I lived in that world for a while. And then I was like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of miss some of my old life though, too, musically. And then, you know, as you get older, you realize that you can, you can have your own opinions and you can have your own influences. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm going to take this gift that you guys are giving me and I'm going to be like Black Sabbath rules and yes rules and whatever the hell else thing I love rules, Duran Duran. And like when it, you finally realize, or at least for me at a certain age, you're just like, you just be yourself, you know, whatever your influence is, is your influence. And, uh, and again, you know, it's like, I keep repeating it. It's like, I'm so lucky to have had all the influences that I've had and all the people that have actively influenced my life, you know, like really, mm-hmm. uh, genuinely cared about imparting me with, with some hipper wisdom, you know, and mm-hmm. those guys really, really, I, I owe them 
everything for my change of course. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I moved out to Colorado. I had this, um, it was like, you know, like eight piece, like GMS, purple GMS kit with like. Keeping it Jersey. Well, they're, in New, they're in New York, but. Yeah, you know, like Long Island, yeah. you know, via Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like total like fusiony, fusiony did. Had my double, double kick pedal. And uh, one of the beautiful things that also happened uh, in retrospect was I was poor as shit and had to pawn that drum kit. And I pawned that kit for an amount that would probably make people very upset uh, at Rupp's Drums in Denver really? and, and traded it for like not a lot of cash and a 62 Ludwig uh, Silver Sparkle drum kit. 22, how, much, how much are we talking here? 800 bucks. Something like that. Yikes. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was probably like a $5,000 something. I mean, it was, they, these were rough times. Uh, you know, literally, I was literally without home uh, a fair portion of when I lived out there. Uh, and, you know, I got this 62 Ludwig kit, you know? So I'm 18 yeah. years old, completely changing my whole scope of, of what music is, of what drumming is, of musicianship, of life, of all that stuff. So I had, you know, I used to have all the, all the fun stuff. I can, you know, and now I've got a tiny drum kit that's beat to hell with crazy shitty out of tune edges. And, and now it's like, all right, here you go, buddy. How cool are you now? And that was really what happened. It was like, oh, well, I'm not that cool. And I, and I, (laughs) and I had to learn how to actually play the damn instrument, you know, not just like splishity splash around all over the place and use, use all these, um, extra tools that I, I was personally using as a crutch and had to learn how to make a, a, a three piece, four piece drum set, do what I needed to do. And it, again, I, I, I'm so thankful for at that time, what felt like the hardest part of my life being the, you know, one of those moments where it's like, right. thank God that all that happened to me. Thank God I lived on that 62 Ludwig for the next, you know, decade mm-hmm. and learned how to become who, who I am. And, uh, and yeah, that was a huge thing. So, you know, that band toured and we, you know, went through all these crazy, crazy things together. And, uh, and then, so when I came back to, to New York, I was already very well uh, embedded in that um, concept of, of music and, and how I was playing, you know, right. like the, I, I, had, I, had, I had graduated and, and felt that I was almost, almost on the level with, with my uh, band counterparts uh, from Colorado at that point. And, and then came to New York, you know, with that with that confidence and that that energy. Mm-hmm. What when you said that you had to learn how to make this, you know, this four piece Ludwig sound musical? What what did that process look like for you? To really, it, it looked like removing just all the all the bullshit, you know. Actually, mm-hmm. beginning to play music, not licks, you know, not right. not chops, not you know the stuff that I was doing, which was in my you know, I, I feel like I was playing a bunch of bullshit. It wasn't musical. Right. It was just, it was athleticism. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I had to like, you know, it's like you, you take away all the bells and whistles and, and I had to get into the meat of it. And, and eventually it was like, oh God, thank God, this is a warm bath. And now I play the drum set. I, I'm able right. to play this instrument and make it speak and make it passionate and make it beautiful, make it violent, make it you know, whatever it is that I think has become kind of a cornerstone to my vibe when I play, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I owe it all to those moments. There's one of the things that you've mentioned about getting around 
getting around all these people that that like you said delivered these things to you by far the biggest jump that i ever had in my my playing was getting around people who were older than me who mm-hmm. had diff, you know much more mature taste in music understood right. the music more uh and without them probably would be half the player that i am now totally totally um and and i realize how important that was for me and i'm and you do too how do you suggest that people get around people like that that's always the question right right, right? I mean, how do you great... get out of your circle yeah i mean i guess it depends on your age you know i was i was i was fortunate when i was very young to have you know kind of i guess just shelved up my ability enough to play with the older kids a little bit and it kind of mm-hmm. stayed that way from grade school on so i always had a mentor system even when we were in our smaller social bubble um but yeah i mean man move to a new city yeah move to a new city meet new people go out and see you know when you can again go out and see music you know so many of the things when i when i became like a new york musician was you go out and you hang you know you go out and you see people play and you you make new friends and you know have it be an organic process don't go out being like here's my card (laughs) you know it's like become homies and like Maybe somebody's gonna be like, "Oh, dude, we should do this thing. Cool, great." You know, don't force it. Let let it be yeah. natural. But but open yourself up to um, to opportunities for sure. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, the greatest lesson that I've ever learned and continue to learn is uh, there, there's there's nothing that you're too cool for. There's nothing that um, can't inform you in a positive way. No matter how dumb it might sound at the time, you know, yep. I I've done like these terrible like wedding gigs with other really great people who were also like, I'm on a really shit wedding gig. You know, it's like, (laughs) that's the thing. It's like, like people I've met through situations that I, on the front end would, would deem as lackluster at best, you know, end up being these like, Oh dude, I met whoever on this. That's, you know, this connection. And now we're right. You know, uh, friends for 20 30 years you know it's like Mm -hmm. just always always look at every opportunity to play as as a positive try to take something positive from it but yeah definitely try to expand your circle as much as possible Mm -hmm. and uh and yeah play play as many different things as you can too styles you know that whole thing um you know I, i learned so 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 much um later in life about playing behind a singer which was you know growing up being a progressive metalhead <laughs> doesn't really, you right. know, it, it really set you up for success there. You know, playing with a guy uh, like Chris Harford, um, who's who's a dear friend of mine and, and someone, another person who has just gifted me with this knowledge um, and, and experience, um, he's the reason I'm able to play behind a singer, you know, like, mm-hmm. and and realizing you know, I'm, I'm in my late twenties, early thirties and not being comfortable to do that, but, but, but being heralded as, you know, someone who could play well, uh, you know, it's like you start calling bullshit on yourself. You're like, yeah, well, I can't do this. I can't just shut the hell up and play behind a, you know, someone. That's when it gets real when you can look at, when you look in the mirror and you're like, you're, you're lying to yourself. Well, that's the thing. And, 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 you know, it really depends on everybody's, you know, path. But for me, it really was this, um, 
you know, not competitive, but like athletic approach to music mm -hmm. early on, which I think everybody, a lot of people do. You know, sure. I think it's fair. I'm not going to, you know, there are very few cases of people that I know that just were like hip since they were 10. Yeah. I know, mean, I think it's the, know. it's the easy thing to measure, right? You can right. measure speed right. and you can measure, totally. you know, what licks and, and patterns totally. and things like that. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. And it, and I'm so thankful that I went there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's humbling as hell when you're like unable to do the simplest shit uh, and, and to make it sound right and, and really deliver a feel without all the other stuff like it's almost like mm -hmm. zeroing in on that feeling of when i went from the big kit to the little kit it's like going from the big playing to the little playing it's it's really that's really where the dna is that's where the the most important stuff is living is in that ability i think in my in my personal yeah. uh, assessment is like you know i i love being able to do more but you need to be able to do less and, and right. that that was a huge thing and again, that came from meeting different people and putting myself in different situations. Mm -hmm. um, and then realizing like, shit, that's actually my favorite thing to do. You know, like the favorite, my favorite thing to do is to play like, like a quiet as hell, like beautiful ballad, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the hardest and probably. the hardest and the hardest. And, but I think also the most gratifying and fulfilling, you know, cause you, for me, that's when I feel like I'm being a musician cause I'm playing the music. I'm not playing it. Part. I'm not playing a drum part. I'm. I feel like I'm part of the breath of the song yeah. when I'm able to do that. You know? Yeah. Great news from Evans Drumheads. Now you can turn your drumheads into a work of art with their custom drumheads. All you have to do is upload your design, and they print it using high-quality photo-resolution images directly onto the drumhead. And they're available in sizes everywhere from 16 to 26. And let me tell you, these things look amazing they sent me a bass drum head with the drummer's resource logo on it i was blown away it looks so cool and the best part is you can save 20 percent by using the promo code drummer 20 drummer and then the numbers two zero so if you go to evansdrumheads.com use the promo code drummer 20 you can not only save 20 percent but you can also get yourself some amazing looking heads the offer only runs until december 31st so make sure you do it today go to evansdrumheads.com use the promo code drummer two zero so you've heard me talk about the black panther design lab series from mapex let me tell you a little bit about the Artist Series. So they have a couple different options, and one of them is the Warbird. This 12 by 5.5 snare is designed by Chris Adler, and it's an optimized version of the original Black Panther model with a unique 12-inch diameter and 100% walnut shell that delivers a dark, biting, and powerful sound. These snare drums are amazing. You can check this one out and more by going to mapexdrums.com. The thing that you said about not being too cool for something, I think that's really important. I remember living across the street from a studio and I just went in and was like, hey, can I sit in sessions and I'll like, I'll literally clean the bathrooms. I don't care. Right. Yeah. You know, or like, I knew, like Stanton Moore was coming into town and I was like, mm -hmm. hey, I'll help you load in because I know like he was touring with his trio and didn't right. have crew, you know, right, and it's right. like, that's awesome. I'm like, I don't care, whatever, whatever I got to do to like get in the room mm -hmm. so that I can soak up as much knowledge as possible. Yeah, well, I'm, and that's I'm not above too. it. No, and that's a cool approach too to take, like to be like, man, I want to, I want to be in here. I want to learn from 
these people and these experiences and that's awesome you know uh to take to take that path for sure yeah so talking talk about the uh the grateful dead how you could how you said you accidentally fell into it i'm I eager mean, to hear this story speaking, speaking of something i thought i was too cool for um yeah man you know so like again <laughs> growing up it was not my thing i was i was into way heavier stuff and then you know we were in high school and i was in a band and all of a sudden everybody's wearing tie-dye and we're playing Grateful Dead covers in this band. And I was just like, fuck man, like this isn't my thing. And I quit the band because I played Grateful Dead covers. Really? Which is hilarious. That is um, hilarious. And yeah, I was just, you know, I was just being a dick about it really. I, I think I was very consumed with what I thought was cool and what I thought was not cool. And you know, it's like total, um, you know, uh, you know, I, just didn't I didn't I wasn't strong enough as a kid to be like, no, I like what I like kind of thing mm-hmm. or, or be open to stuff. So, you know, all the years go by and uh um you know, we had kind of you know, we're, we're Marco and I were in the on the jam band circuit, you know, and surrounded by, you know, a lot of Grateful Dead influenced music and all sorts of stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um Plus playing like, with, with Trey and Mike as well. Right. Well, it led leading to that, you know, I, um, I always had it kind of packaged in the back of my head. I was like, you know, I know there's something awesome about this because so many people that I respect like it, but I don't know. And I just kind of lived there. And then, yeah, we started, um, you know, Marco and I started getting some, uh, stuff happened with Mike Gordon from fish and, uh, and then eventually Trey, uh, from fish as well. You know, and you're pretty well steeped in the jam band world once that's that's happening. Yeah. Um and actually that led to yeah, we did a tour where it was myself and Marco, Mike Gordon and Trey, um, as a quartet and it was a like a co a co bill summer tour with Phil Lesh and friends, Phil Lesh from the Grateful mm-hmm. Dead. Um, who again I just, you know, was not uh other than like the obvious Grateful Dead starter pack stuff, I I just didn't know any of it. Um right. So the announce of this, this, uh, this band grab with, with the fish guys, uh, was at Bonnaroo and then the announcing of this tour. So at a certain point in our, of our set, Bill Lesh is going to come out and we're going to play some Grateful Dead songs. And, you know, it was stuff I had like knew peripherally. It wasn't big, deep cuts, you know, going down the road, feeling bad and Casey right. Jones, you know, um, but it was, you know, in all honesty, I was, I remember going to Phil, I'm like, Hey man, so like, how does this end? You know what? And he's just like, Oh, I was like, all right, <laughs> but like, that's how, how really like unknowing I was. I was just like, all right, let's go do it. You know? And you right. know, obviously it worked out. But, um, so from that tour we did in 2006, uh, I think in 2009, I get this random call from Bob Weir's manager. And, and, and mind you, this is now after that tour with Mike and Trey, the duo fizzled out things, you know, we're playing, you know, these giant places with the fish guys, Marco and I were kind of on a pretty meteoric rise and, you know, we just had the classic burnout. Um, Mm -hmm. and here I am and I'm back, I'm playing restaurant gigs. I'm playing the blue water grill in, in Manhattan. I'm playing six 22 minute sets for a chicken pie yard and a hundred bucks, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And that was a fucking drag. Uh, and I was not very pleased with it. And I actually got to a point where I, I s- kind of sat myself down. And I was like, you know what? 
man, you know, you've had a good run. You've you've actually done some cool stuff, you know, with music. And maybe that's it. And mm. because I, I didn't want to play in restaurants anymore. I didn't I didn't want to do the New York struggle thing that right. I had done so many times before. You know, like mm-hmm. being on the on the short side of a valley, you know, for the fifth time yeah, yeah. before thirty or you know, however old I was, you know. Um it was just like I had a beautiful calm moment about way to go dude you had a really great run and you can tell stories to people when you get older about all the weird awesome fun shit you did right and what uh, were you going to do my wife and i were going to open a cafe in brooklyn Uh, we had an opportunity uh that came across our plate and she was a social worker at the time or you know we weren't even married at the time um i think we were engaged though and uh and we're like yeah let's do this. Let's open this cafe, you know, like I'll book it. We'll do like, you know, some jazz stuff that way I'll still get to play. And, but you know, I don't have to go on the road. I don't have to like just do, you know, grind it out again. And, uh, but I was legitimately okay with it. And I think because I was legitimately okay with it, my biggest opportunity was, was about to knock on the door. And that's literally what happened. I, I, I got a message, um, from Bob Weir's manager, uh, being like, Hey, you know, wondering if you want to come out to the, to the West coast and play a couple shows with Bob and Phil, you know, from the grateful dead. And I'm like, you know, something that I probably would have said no to four years, three years before I would be like, Oh man, the dead. Nah, man, I'm good. You know, I, I really, I, I probably would have declined. Um, and I was like, that sounds fun. Sure. You know? And, you know, pan forward, I, I go out there and all of a sudden, um, you know, they had sent me like a very short list of songs and I kind of assumed it was a, uh, like a couple benefit gigs or benefit, something mm-hmm. like that. But they were being a little, little cagey about it. I didn't have a lot of details and they sent me like 10 tunes. I remember I spoke with, uh, this woman, Kathy, who, who was an amazing woman. She was Phil and Jill's, uh, assistant, and she's like, and you have, you know, you have all this music. And I like lied. I was like, oh yeah, I got to find my tapes. I was like, <laughs> I totally like fucking bullshitted. Like, let me go find my tapes. Cause that's what my hippie friends say. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know. <laughs> and I, uh, I got on the phone with a couple friends and, uh, one being Peter Costello, who is now my co-manager of, of our Grateful Dead <laughs> cover band. Um, and you know, he started kind of hipping me to what was what, and as time went on, as this thing's leading up, they keep sending more songs, more songs, more songs, more songs. And it got up to like 60 songs. And it was deep shit that I had never dreamed of hearing. And stuff that I've gone on record before saying, like, if I had heard some of this stuff back when I thought The Grateful Dead sucked, they would have right. been like my favorite band. You know, right. I, just, I just didn't hear the right stuff for me at the time. But they had sent like all the deepest, hardest shit, you know, the 11 um king solomon's marbles like these progressive you know odd time mm-hmm. you know deep shit i'm like wait this is fucking grateful dead and then i would hear like you know live um live bits that that literally sounded like you know some tranced out like miles davis shit i'm like holy shit i think i'm <laughs> grateful dead and you know Pooja, my my now wife girlfriend at the time was like i think this is an audition and i was like dude no it's not an audition the dead is playing right now Right. You know, they, they were the, the core four plus Warren Haynes and, and Jeff Comenti. And, um, so I was like, no, you know, whatever. So then I get out there 
and uh, met a lot of people that I didn't know. Uh, and um, uh, Jay Lane was there, who I who I knew peripherally a little bit. Um, and yeah, it was like kind of still didn't know what was going on. And we played for a couple days, a couple days and learned this stuff. And, and Bob and Phil were awesome. And it was really cool to be there. You know, it was like really neat to be in like California hanging with like the most California thing you right. could, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know? And then on, I think like the third day they like sat us down in a room and like, we want this to be a band. We're going to play, you know, X amount of shows. Uh, are you in? And I was like, fucking yes, I'm absolutely in. Um, and <laughs> I, uh, I remember calling Tom Hamilton actually on, he's like, yo dick. I'm like, Hey man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, I think I'm in the grateful dead. He's like, <laughs> what the fuck you dude? What? Um, and you know, it was, it was just the most random thing. And then of course, all my friends who knew me when, you know, hating on the dead being like, dude, what the fuck? You know? Right. And, and I was like, yeah, dude, you're, you get, you are all correct in saying I'm an asshole because <laughs> I am an asshole. And I, and I, uh, and I somehow once again was gifted this luxury of learning, uh, now this incredible songbook from these incredible musicians. Mm-hmm. And completely blew my mind again and restarted my understanding once again of music, of my instrument, of my life, you know, at 30 something years old. And it was beautiful. It was intense. It was a lot of stuff to learn. Um, but I, I always think, um, and I, again, I've said this before too, I think Phil kind of picked me from that tour we kind of pseudo did together. We, he and I didn't really play together, but I think he wanted to grab someone who wasn't in the thick of it, someone who Mm -hmm. didn't grow up on it, someone who wasn't going to mimic the, what, what had come before. And, um, and I, I, I really appreciate that gift and and his belief in me, um, for that. Cause yeah, I got, I got just this giant songbook that I got to play on, you know, with these guys. But what band was that billed as? That was called further. Um, Oh, right, right, right. And that, you know, but shit, man, you know, all of a sudden we're playing Madison Square Garden and all this stuff. And it was, it was amazing. It was, it was incredible. Um, it was, uh, you know, probably a, a year before I was playing without my computer next to me with like notes open. Cause mm-hmm. it, it was a tremendous amount of music to learn very quickly. You know, I had these 60 songs for the audition and then we did 10 nights back to back at this tiny club, uh, north of san francisco and every morning i get 10 new just names of songs and was by this at, point at phil's at phil's club this is well before phil had a club oh got you. um yeah this actually this might have been at the place that became bob's club because you know you gotta have your own club of course um but uh yeah it was just like this random little like playhouse theater and i would just get the names of the songs and what i realized at that point was damn i gotta figure out how to learn this stuff quick because everybody else in in this new band knew this stuff already. I was literally right. the only one that didn't know it, you know. Um, so what I would do is I would uh, I would get the lyrics to the song, you know. This is how I'd make my chart. I'd get the lyrics to the song. Um, I would download download the record version, a live version from the seventies, live version from the eighties, and then a version of the most recent Dead tour that they had just done, and they were all wildly different. And then it's just up to me to guess what things are still there, what things right. aren't all that stuff. And I just developed this shorthand that now I use for everything. 
which is all based on the lyrics, um, mm-hmm. which I think is incredibly important if you're learning music that has lyrics to know what they are, know what song <laughs> you're playing for real, you know, it's like, I, and I remember, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily Bob's favorite in the beginning, but I remember him. Uh, no, why not? Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm a bit of a, you know, I can overplay a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think I was like Phil's guy, you know, and I think, you know, right. it's just like, you know, and I think the drummer thing in that world is, is a, it's a hot seat to be mm-hmm. in anyway. Yep. Um, but I remember how psyched he was when, uh, when I was like singing along, I didn't have a mic or anything, but I would be like singing my heart out while we're playing in these rehearsals. I remember him like saying, you know, something complimentary about that. And that stuck with me. Cause I was like, yeah, man, I, I, everybody should know the lyrics to these songs you're playing. doesn't matter if you have a mic in front of your face, like, what are you doing? You know? And so his encouragement with that really nailed that in. But then again, like this, this new shorthand I developed was it, it was all based on lyrics. It had nothing to do with writing any parts out. I would basically have the lyrics and then I would <laughs> write the name of a song that I knew from wherever that was the most reminiscent of what this song was. So like there was a song called uh, black throated wind at the time that I didn't know. And I just, the note was son of a preacher man. So <laughs> it gave me an idea of the feeling, you know, and then I would highlight, you know, words, if something big was going to happen, I would have an X through something. If there was a big crash that had, you know, like whatever. And the, the lyrics became my, my map and that became my That's chart. Awesome. It was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and because I, I, I don't know how I would have learned all that stuff otherwise, because it, it was a hundred songs in 10 days. That's so by insane. the end of that, it was 160 songs. Um, and then, yeah, eventually I, I closed, closed the laptop and it was terrifying, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and finally knew this stuff. And, uh, but yeah, it's, that's a very long answer to your very simple question. Sorry. Well, that's, that's what I wanted to hear though. <laughs> right. So that band, that band went for, to what, 2014 or so. And then, yeah, and then you started J rad. Well, yeah, it was, it was a very strange thing because further was wrapping up i don't know if we had officially said that it was over or if i even knew that was officially over um but yeah toward the end of that before the last shows of that band i was approached um our friends in new york do a party called the new york city's uh freaks ball there was Mm -hmm. a a kind of a list serve um of uh music fans in new york city who were just like the most supportive wonderful fans i've ever encountered and they would just um kind of just throw their whole whole hearts behind any act that they that they loved and and they had done that to a lot of us um you know with the duo and they'd done it with scott uh, metzger with rana and just everything we've ever been involved with Uh, Mm -hmm. so at the time you know throughout this whole conversation there's also a band called bustle in your hedgerow which is is an instrumental like just so fun zeppelin band that i do myself and marco and dave drywitz from ween Mm-hmm. and scott metzger and it, it was a friend of ours was having his 30th birthday party and he wanted a, the duo plus scott to do a set of zeppelin so at first it was a trio uh and then dave from Ween joined and really you know fleshed out but it was like instrumental we did it a couple times a year you know uh so fun you know like total mm-hmm. kid in your basement like bring out the big bass drum and the gong and just do it and it was a blast uh marco would play all the vocal melodies on you know organ or or Wurlitzer and it was just nice a a blast so you know panning to i think it was 2013 or 2014 
the the freaks are throwing their annual freaks ball and they wanted to do a two-nighter and the idea was our band bustle and your hedgerow playing one night and then the next night was going to be a new band called uh the uh the dean ween group which was mickey mm-hmm. Melchiondo from ween featuring myself and dave and scott uh so easy peasy great we all sign on we're doing this thing and then like a couple weeks or a month leading up to this thing um I think Mickey just was like, shit, we, we haven't got anything together. And he, he, he pulled the plug on that band. So they were left finding a, another band like, Oh, let's do two nights of bustle. We had already done that a couple of years ago, something like that. Right. So we're kind of, you know, throwing around ideas. And again, my buddy Pete, who's on the other line with me, who's a part of this list is, uh, Oh man, you guys should like do a dead thing. And I was like, no, man, I'm not doing a dead thing. I'm like in a dead thing. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, he's like, well, what if, you know, cause we had done a gig doing uh, bustle plays other shit. And right. You know, one set was playing all of black Sabbath paranoid, which was awesome. And then yeah, the second really set awesome. was like a bunch of random stuff. We did like almond brothers too. And we did blah, blah, blah. Um, he's like, so what if bustle plays the dead? And I was like, no, man, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, getting back to the lyrics is like, you can't play the grateful dead without lyrics. Like, it's right. like, you can play without Robert Plant, you know, talking about mm-hmm. Gollum, but you can't take away the lyrics of the Grateful Dead. So I was like, no, man, I'm just not into it, not into it, not into it. He he basically whittled me down and eventually we're like, all right, how about we do the bustle lineup, me, Dave, Scott, and Marco. We add Tommy Hamilton, you know, who whose band I had been in previously, and he is a Grateful Dead fan, you know, mm-hmm. and knows all this stuff, and he's a great singer, and and... We're like, you know what? Fine, fuck it. Let's do it. So Bustle plus ha- plus Tommy. And, uh, you know, then it gets to the point of, you know, what are we going to call it? And <laughs> I had actually just divulged this with Eric Krasno on a podcast recently. Uh, <laughs> when when Further was getting together uh, and coming up with a name, you know, and again, mind you, I'm the new guy who knows no nothing, no one. So everybody's throwing out names. And in the back of my head, I thought it, was, it would be really hilarious to call it Almost Dead. Because it's like a dead cover band, and it's like right. you know, it's kind of a dark. Getting joke. older, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's, some, that's some Jersey shit. And I'm over here giggling like an asshole to myself, but I'm like, I don't know if we're there yet. Even though I'm sure Bob would have like loved it now in retrospect. Um, actually, both of them probably would have. Um, but I'm like, shut your fucking mouth! Don't do not do not be hilarious right now. Just be like, there's further. like a devil and an yeah. angel on your oh, shoulder. Oh man, this is like further is a great name. Yes. Um, <laughs> So I always had that. And I also, it's just a funny name for like a, you know, cover band. Uh, So I was like, all right, well, you know what? Let's call it Almost Dead. And I gave Pete this story and we chuckled. And he's like, all right, do we put your name on it anywhere? Uh, I was like, I don't know. Fine, we'll put my name, you know. And he's like, you know, if you say Joe Roos is almost dead, you know, it spells J-Rad. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like the sound. So that was kind of the final thing that pushed it over. You know, and also all these bands that, I had either seen or been a part of in the, like the knitting factory days, all those like hip bands was always like, so-and-so's like broken transistor or like <laughs> Dave blah, blah's like fart machine and like whatever. <laughs> so it was like kind of like a play on that too. Cause that was the approach I kind of wanted to take with it anyway. Um, so we, we get together and I, you know, I write a couple sets of music and uh, we play it and, and that was it. There was no, there was no, like we begrudgingly did it once. Right. And we did it and it was really fun and we just did, you know, uh, whatever the hell we wanted to that music that night, you know, mm-hmm. it was just like, yikes. Um, and, uh, 
you know, we had we had fun and walked off stage being like, that was neat. I think that was neat. You know, and then 48 hours later, all of a sudden, it's like the talk of the town is was what happened that night, which was news to us because we were just fucking off. You know, we right, were just, right. I mean, we were playing with playing, passion yeah. and, and fun. And we weren't like being, you know, joking about it. But it, it was like, oh, that was just us doing what we do with the backdrop of this songbook. Like, it was like, this is all, we, we've been doing this for decades you know right um but you combine i guess that attitude with this songbook and apparently it turns into something yeah um so yeah it was like it was kind of crazy the buzz that had come from that and then i guess the recording of that first night started circulating through the the larger grateful dead fan base channels and yeah it was it was we were all like laughing like it was people were really really into it and really inspired by what we had done and um and we're like, cool. Well, we're never doing it again. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Like, what? No. Like, I'm in further currently. Right. Everybody else in the band has their projects. We're doing. We're doing everything. It's like, no, we're not starting a Grateful Dead cover band. Are you kidding me? With these guys, right. you know, it's like, um, and uh, you know, eventually, I I got my arm twisted again by by Pete Shapiro, who's a, a dear friend and a, a big concert promoter in this area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he owns he, relics, right? He owns relics as he well. Yeah, he uh, Brooklyn he owns, Bowl and all that. Brooklyn Bowl, Capitol Theater. He he had put the the Grateful Dead uh, GD50 concert together years later, yeah. which was like the biggest thing ever. Um, and he's like, Joey, we got to do it again. I'm like, dude, we're not doing it again. He's like, let's do it. You know, finally, he, I was like, fine. So we'll go back to the bowl and we'll do. He said, like, no, 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 we're doing it at the Cap. I was like, oh, dude, we're not doing our second gig at the Capitol Theater, which is like a pretty sizable place yeah it's pretty big you know and like a, a legendary room and i was just like fine man he's like joey trust me trust me on this one and so we did it and you know we we got back together and i think fine-tuned it a little bit more toward like okay if we're gonna be doing the grateful dead thing let's like you know let's crack open this songbook a little bit more and really learn it and and you know that's i was joking with Kraz about this too on the last podcast like all of a sudden we realized Scott Metzger sings just like Bob Weir, which was hilarious <laughs> because that, that was a happy accident, you know? And, um, and we just kind of start whittling away at this, at this songbook, And, uh, you know, the second gig goes in the books and it was great. And we're like, all right, cool. We're done. You know? Right. And, and, and it's just like, you know, they pull me back in. They, uh, <laughs> just when they think I'm out. They yeah. You know, it's like in. all these offers start coming in and, we're saying no to every single thing because we genuinely were just like, no, 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 no. We're not looking to like do this thing. It's so fun. Maybe we'll do it again. And we, you know, we got like an offer to do a festival in Connecticut and all this stuff. And we're like, you know, basically we all hop on the phone. We're like, are we, I mean, right. We're having a good time. Let's do this. Let's, let's, let's play a few more shows. And we all yeah. agree to play like 10 shows and we played those 10 shows. And now this is over the course of two years, you know, this certainly, mm-hmm was a slow burn it wasn't like guys i've got this great idea let's you know play grateful dead songs and right, it was right, like right. a begrudgingly long two years of us saying no 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 until we realized we're like you know what we really enjoy doing this and i think by that third year we were just like screw it let's do this let's make this a part of our life let's you know it. it's like we've already invested the time into it we really enjoy it it's it's an excuse for the four the five of us to be together on stage. We've, we've been played in each other's bands over the last almost three decades now. Mm-hmm. We're the best of friends. 
this is amazing. We get to go out and play music in front of people who are so psyched. And we also get to do it exactly how we want to do it. The reason the people are coming to see us is because of how we're, how we are playing it. Right. And that's what makes it okay to me. You know, yeah. we're, we're, we're delivering something in between the cracks. That's the exact same thing as I would be delivering in a, in a, you know, underground bunker playing freak out jazz shit with Dave Harrington and Jonathan Goldberger. You know, it's like, right. It's the same attitude. And I think that's the thing that one makes it okay for us. And two sets us apart a little bit is like, it's purely that concept, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're just, we're playing the music exactly how we want to play it. And if that's the case, then sign me up, you know? Yeah. 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 That uh, makes sense to me, man. I like, and I, I've everything that I've listened to, I've never seen you guys live, but everything that I've listened to, like it, it feels it, it like, it feels like you guys, like it feels right. like it, it feels like an original bl- band playing covers. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and and that really is what it, what it is. And it's a very simple concept and it's just, I think it's such a foreign concept with this one specific band that is gigantic, that people cherish so much that as far as I understand, everybody who has covered it has covered it as is. Mm-hmm. And all we did was just be like, t- treat it like the real book and be like, here are the melodies you got to hit. Here are the, these are, you know, the, these, these mile markers that absolutely have to be there to, to be the DNA of the song outside of that, like do whatever the fuck you want. Yep. And it's just kind of funny that like that simple concept has delivered so much <laughs> for us, you know, cause it really, it, it just feels like anybody could have done it. Anybody, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, you, I, I will give us a pat on the back and say we're we're pretty good at what we do, and um, I would say so. <laughs> you know, but you know, what I'm saying like, but like that that approach of just like loving the music, respecting the music, but n- not even coming close to cherishing it in a way where we're not going to break it apart. Right, right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what what things are you working on now? I know things are crazy because of because of COVID and can't really go anywhere or do anything, but I'm sure that's yeah. given you a lot of downtime. I know you just moved out of the city. You got your own spot now in Jersey. You got a studio mm-hmm. there. Um, what, what stuff is, is lighting you up now? Oh man. wish I could say more, but uh, <laughs> you know, this, this whole thing uh, you know, I'd, I'd put out a solo record last year that, that had taken up a fair amount of my time for that year and, and previous and um, kind of, uh, started working on new stuff before all this, this happened. And then, yeah, kind of got uprooted. I, I, you know, had my workspace in Brooklyn that I was very, very fond of that, that I really, uh, felt comfortable in and, and, and inspired. And, and, um, I, you know, for the first six months of this thing, we were living at my in-laws, uh, cause we, we had planned on moving, uh, we had, we had bought a house, but it wasn't like ready to move in or anything. We needed mm-hmm. to do a lot of work. You know, it was, it was kind of a, a long, uh, intended process. So everything kind of got uprooted and we, you know, I'm very fortunate, but we, you know, living at the in-laws for half a year, uh, I ha- <clears throat> had a very small space set up there where I had like an electronic, like I bought a cheap, like Alesis, like drum kit and had like a MIDI keyboard mm-hmm. in my little computer and, you know, was trying to stay, stay, uh, motivated wrote a couple things but uh things i'll probably go back to later but yeah lost a little bit of the creative spark uh for sure during this 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the lack of physical collaboration has 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 kind of taken a toll on me at this point. Um, I've been fortunate to to do some satellite recording stuff on the new Fruit Bats record that I'm really proud of. Nice. Um, uh, did some stuff with Cass McCombs, uh, and uh, you know, do, kind of picking and choosing some stuff here and there, and slowly getting back to the songwriting and stuff. But I think I've I've kind of committed to a little bit more of just like be with my family dad with the two kids and you know and and my wife and i just trying to you know be cool and manage whatever this is you know i i now see playing as a luxury um even in my house you know when babies are sleeping and stuff Mm -hmm. a lot of drumming going on so right starting to shred my sweet guitar leads there you Um, go yeah (laughs) but you know and i'm kind of like inspired by that now like i was like you know what i'm gonna try to get like way better at guitar during this Mm -hmm. uh and that's kind of what i've been doing so you know, when the when the moment hits me, I, I record you know some stuff. Um, but I have my eyes set on a, a new a new studio space uh, that hopefully will happen in the summer uh, awesome. in town in town here, and I think that'll be really really big and inspiring. And then I think as soon as the world opens up again and being able to reconnect those you know those humanity bits are going to be yeah. really important. And I think it's going to just come rushing back. You yeah, know, and I'll be overwhelmed. <laughs> I think that there's, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for humans in general to be this isolated. But then humans that are their jobs are interacting with people, like playing music in front yeah. of fans and things like that. Like taking all of that away, it's hard. It's yeah, hard. I like, mean, I'm not. I'm, there were some dark days in the early, you know, thing. You go from, yeah, getting. I mean, one getting to just play music, getting to do the thing that you've loved since you're a child, and the thing that makes you you Two, getting to do that with your friends you know and getting the information exchange of making music right and then yeah man like getting to go out in front of thousands of people doesn't feel bad nope. you know and 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 you know you realize how much i i realize how much of my tank that was fueling it's like feels really good to feel that energy and when that stops um all three of those things stop it's it's pretty stark you know yeah. I, I definitely had a hard time i was definitely checking in <clears throat> with with friends you know because it's like yeah your life is done you know our life has stopped our creative life has in one one realm has stopped you know i'm coming up on you know on february 23rd that'll be the last time i was on stage for like a real gig right um that's a long time you know yeah. it's a year I, uh, yeah you know and it's going to be a lot longer i think mm-hmm. um but, you know, at least now we've found a way to live, you know, like I'm totally not like depressed. I'm, 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 I'm understanding where I am. Um, but I'm also being cool with like, you know what, if I'm not producing a lot of, a lot of stuff right now, that's cool. You right. know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get through it. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of sur- survival mode right now. Yeah. Uh, with the very, very, uh hopeful future you know mm-hmm. like looking down the line and you know we're booking stuff for 22 and 23 and it's like that's good most likely those days will be days that happen on this earth and yeah. and and when that happens it's gonna be just so wonderful and and i hope we all cherish it as much as we think we're gonna right now yeah i think there's a lot of pent-up energy and want to go not only be around people but go see live music oh, and, man. and just yeah. Like I, I said it a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I would pay a lot of money to go see a <laughs> shitty band right now, dude. Right? Oh my god! <laughs> I, 
I really hope we all hold on to this feeling as long as we can, you yeah. know, to, to like when we're in, when we're there yeah. and I'm complaining about some stupid shit, you know, like to yep. be like, Oh wait, you're here with people with seeing people. music or playing music or whatever. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I am very excited about how we're all going to feel as, as people when that happens. Me too. I'm excited yeah. to like go to a karaoke bar. Oh, dude, I will crush it with you. <laughs> Call me. Eternal Flame, I called it. That's my jam. Well, you know, I'm, I'm in Jersey a lot, so uh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I am down. I am down. Well, Joe, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat, man. I think it's, I think it's important to not only share the, the wisdom and the insights of, of a career, you know, spanning decades that, that you can impart on everyone, but also like talking about the, all the stuff that's going on with COVID too. And just yeah. being like, Hey, look, like let's be, let's all be a little kinder to ourselves and realize totally. that like, these Absolutely. are, these are crazy circumstances that we're all trying to deal with. We're all, none of us, none of us are prepared for this or used right, to this, right, this type yeah. of thing. So, uh, so I think it's important to, to one, like you said, check on your friends, uh, and then to not be so hard on yourself and just like, just in, try to enjoy this time. Totally. Whatever find, it is. Find, find the awesome stuff. You know, me being able to see my daughters every single day yeah. while sometimes exhausting is the most incredible thing of all time. And my wife yeah. and I are both just like so excited about that. And it is, yeah, find find the amazing things that would have never happened without this. You know, I would have yep. been on the road and doing all this stuff and, and missing out on a lot of stuff. So there's, there's, there is good stuff for us to focus on. And, uh, and yeah, you know, thank you for for having me on and getting and being cool with discussing the whole the gamut of uh, of being a musician. You know, always, always. Yeah. Where's the best place for people to go to keep an eye on what you're doing? Uh, I guess Instagram is kind of my thing. You know, okay. I'll throw some links up here or there and uh, some you know. some Tommy Lee talk. You know, who knows? <sighs> Not Anything afraid. You know, maybe I'll make like a sweet like Tommy Lee playlist of the moves I've stolen from him, like on record. I like That'll it. Be fun. That'll give me something to do. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Joe, thank you again, man. I really appreciate you. And uh, back at you, brother. There you have it. The one, the only Mr. Joe Russo. And you can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash 605. And if you haven't already, do me a favor, leave a rating or a review on iTunes. You can do that just by going onto your app on your phone. It takes about a minute. Uh, you just click write review or, or write a, a rating, whatever, something like that. Something along those lines. It doesn't take long, though. I promise. It takes about 45 seconds, maybe. So check that out. Also, if you haven't already, sign up for the mailing list. And you can do that just by going to drummersresource.com. That'll keep you up to date with what's going on. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.